Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. I'm Josh Roller, and I'm joined, as always, by Zionsville's finest, <laughs> Rob Peters. Rob, say hi to the crowd. Hello, everybody. I live in Indianapolis now, but he's not wrong. We have uh, you know, some, some news to share to you, with you today, and we'll discuss the inaugural E-NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series race at the virtual Homestead Miami Speedway. And we have a, a few upshift, downshift questions for you. And, of course, we got our, our usual featured paint scheme and racetrack segments for you. I think we got some good choices on those this week. I'm excited to hear what Rob has to say for his paint scheme. Uh, you know, we're happy we jo- you're, you're joining us today. You're choosing to listen to us. If you're returning, welcome back. Glad you came back. You're a first-time listener in this uh, time of a lot of staying at home. We hope you enjoy when and you come back. Maybe you'll even listen to some of our older podcasts as well. Uh, so hope you enjoy. Let's get things rolling with Rob's Racing Report. Rob, take it away. Thank you. Uh, we've got a lot. There's, there's. I mean, again, news happens. News happens even when kind of in a global pandemic and when everything shuts down. So again, if you weren't with us last week uh, or you've again been living under a rock for the past two weeks, which I hope you're not, uh, we've got more uh, news related to how racing series and motorsports world, everything's reacting to the uh, coronavirus situation. So further Formula One postponements have been handed down. The new provisional start to the 2020 Formula One World Championship is the Canadian Grand Prix on June 14th. Currently, the Bahrain, Vietnamese, Chinese, Dutch, Spanish, and Azerbaijan Grand Prix have been postponed, while Australia and Monaco have been outright canceled for 2020. Uh, This year is the first time since 1954 that the Monaco Grand Prix will not be held. F1 CEO Chase Carey has stated that the FIA's target is to have at least 15 to 18 World Championship events and will uh, race beyond November. It has already been agreed that the mandatory summer shutdown for the teams has has been moved from to up to March and April. So essentially what we're seeing right now is the F1 summer break happening. Uh, now they're calling, this is the summer break. Everybody, you know, get, get those, enjoy your time at home. Enjoy your time with your family because uh, the next couple of weeks of formula one, as soon as all of this is more or less resolved, uh, hopefully by June, Formula One is just going to be going. They're going to keep going, and they're not going to stop. So the 2021 technical regulations have also been delayed until 2022. So that was actually a big bummer for a lot of people I know because a lot of people were really, really, really looking forward to next year in Formula One. But it had to be done because uh, this is going to relieve a lot of stress from the teams competing in the 2020 calendar uh, while not having to build completely brand-new vehicles for 2021 because obviously we're not running right now. Everything's kind of in a global shutdown. It's going to be. It, it's it's almost impossible to develop the new cars. It's almost impossible for teams to actually put any money towards development of the new cars right now. It's just not going to happen. It's not fair, really, to anybody to go for it unless you want to just see a bunch of cars breaking down for the next season or, or so. Who who wants to see that? Absolutely nobody. So that's why Formula One is doing that. Uh, so we're going to have a completely brand new vehicle finally. Formula One in 2022. It's just going to be a little bit later than everybody expected. Uh, so we've got some. Uh, Sports car news, actually, in addition to the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, which had been previously rescheduled for November 14th, IMSA has moved the three additional races to later in the season. The Acura Sports Car Grand Prix in Ohio will now take place September 25th and 20 through the 27th. Next, in response to uh, 24 Hours of Le Mans being postponed until September 19th and 20th, IMSA has moved the Laguna Seca race up one weekend to September 4th 
through six to allow teams competing in both IMSA and uh, and Le Mans to be able to travel back and forth between France and here. Because obviously, whoo, Laguna Seca to France, that's that's quite the flight. <laughs> that is quite the flight. Uh, no matter, I mean, that's two completely opposite parts of the world. Goodness gracious. You only got a week. Now. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta has been pushed back one weekend from October 7th to 10th. It is now going to be run October 14th to 17th. Uh, so that's going to be moved back a week. Um, moving on to the NTT IndyCar Series. Current NTT IndyCar Series drivers and potential special guest drivers will race on the next six Saturdays in the I- IndyCar iRacing Challenge. Each race will be streamed live on IndyCar.com as well as on YouTube, Facebook, and iRacing's Twitch account. Each race will last at least 90 minutes to two hours and start at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So fans right now are voting on their track of choice for the first race. Tracks at the start of the fan vote as of right now, I believe we are down to uh, Watkins Glen versus Montreal in the uh, road course and Motegi versus Michigan. Or, uh, no, I thought it was uh, didn't Auto Club. It was Auto Club versus Michigan, wasn't it? Or, and maybe I can't remember. Well, that vote ended, I thought. The vote ended? Yeah. I know what I voted for. <laughs> I voted for Michigan. Uh, every, every time I'm going to vote for Michigan. So And, if, and, and then Watkins Glen as well. I'll, I'll just disclose right away. It is Auto Club in Michigan. It is That's Auto Club in Michigan. I thought it was Auto Club in Michigan. So, uh, I mean, it'd be great to see IndyCars racing at Michigan, even if it's in a virtual world. I'd still love to see that. Uh, and it would yeah. also be great to see IndyCars racing at Watkins Glen. It's like, it's like oh, look. This virtual world is everything we've been wanting out of IndyCar for the past, you know, several years, and we've never gotten it. Now we're finally going back to Watkins Glen and Michigan, and it only took a complete global shutdown and for this to happen on iRacing for it to finally get it done. Amazing. <laughs> so uh, on the real world side, uh, the, the remainder of the cal- – er, no, never mind. This is still in the, in the iRacing side. I misread what was coming up. The remainder of the calendar is as follows. April 4th at Barber Motorsports Park. April 11th is Driver's Choice. April 18th is Random Draw Track. April 25th is Circuit of the Americas. May 2nd is a non-IndyCar Dream Track. Oh boy, can't wait to see that. IndyCar is a Daytona, inevitably. I guarantee you that'll happen. And that's, that's the first be- thing that came to my mind. The only way it's going to ever happen is in a virtual world. Let's just accept that. First and foremost. Hey, I had a, then, I had a friend, though, uh, here in Charlotte who turned a 11.47 lap at Bristol in an IndyCar. So very interesting. What? What? Wow. I mean, I mean, that, I mean, I think Bristol's fast because, I mean, you see guys running, laying down like 16, 15, 14, 15, 16 second laps. And now you're telling me an 11 second lap was set by a guy in an auto. Now that would be scary. Indy cars at I feel like you would have to put bumpers on those things. You would have to, right? Like you couldn't right. you couldn't let everybody oh, chrome horn like, everybody. Yeah. Everybody would be chrome horning everybody. I mean, you would just be replacing the front wings all over the place. Mm-hmm. Boy, I don't even want to think about that. Let's let's talk about something else. So <laughs> talking talking further in the uh, virtual world, actually staying in the virtual world, because that's really all we could talk about. All we could talk about, literally. I I don't know what to tell you there, but <laughs> Formula One will be doing something similar to what IndyCar and NASCAR have been doing in the virtual world. They have been doing it for the past couple of weeks as well, but using F1 2019, uh, virtual Grand Prix will replace the physical races for the time being with current Formula One drivers racing against each other, other celebrities and other drivers. Um, 
So we're gonna have uh, they're gonna race Zonvort, Vietnam. Uh, they, those aren't they're not gonna race Vietnam and Zonvort because they're not F1 2019, unfortunately. Uh, so they're gonna be replaced with other races. So I don't. I guess we're just Brands Hatch maybe. Is that an F1? I would, I would like to see it, dude. Take, you, know, take... you know how hard it is to find a copy of F1 2019. I have no idea. Like it is so hard. Like I tried relentlessly to find a copy of that thing just for Xbox. Is it is it unavailable digitally? Can you buy it digitally? I think you can buy it digitally, but you can't find a physical copy of the thing, at least in North America, to save my life. I, I haven't found one. So mm. I would love to find a, phys- a physical copy of it because, you know, I, I digital game, digital video games are kind of lame. You're not, you're not buying I do games. like to have a physical. I'm with you there. I do like to have a yeah. physical copy of a game. You're not, because you're not buying the game. You're buying the rights to use it basically when you when you do or when you stream games or something like that i've never liked that i like to have the physical copy in my hand that basically says i am now entitled to do with this whatever i please so long as it is for my my use and only my use you know i like i like having that yeah anyway so uh moving along despite being canceled by indycar the grand prix association of long beach held out hope to get the race rescheduled for later this season but have now officially confirmed that the event has been canceled for 2020 with refunds and ticket credit going out to purchasers. So Long Beach definitely doing a heck of a lot better job in terms of actually giving out refunds, which is something St. Petersburg didn't do, uh, which still is a very, very strange decision on their part. Uh, I don't exactly know the economics of why they wouldn't offer uh, any refunds, but I, I'm sure a lot of fans who bought tickets would probably be liking some of that money back right about now. Because a lot of us yeah. are probably going to be struggling for the next couple of weeks because a lot of us are out of jobs, unfortunately. Or have jobs that have been cut back in hours, you know, and just got less less money on our hands. Um, on the upside, though, Fox is going all out in the E-NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series as they will broadcast all remaining races on Fox Broadcast Network where it is available and sub- subject to change and also on FS1 and the Fox Sports app, which... By the way, do you know the difference between the Fox Sports app and Fox Sports Go is actually like they still support Fox Sports Go, but it's for like the regional networks. Yeah. But FS, the Fox Sports app is for like FS1, FS2, and like what is what is that? What is that, guys? What I don't doing? know. It's so confusing. That's so confusing. Yeah, whatever. So, but but the point is, uh, we got we got NASCAR e races are going to be on television the next. Uh, foreseeable future on fox so that's a big deal um very very much exciting uh to see that because and actually some interesting piece of news is the race over the weekend that we are going to talk about here very shortly was actually became the highest viewed esports event in history on sunday and uh, granted it didn't even crack a million viewers so a lot of people looked at that and said oh those are terrible numbers uh considering the fact that everybody is at home uh but hey but it came together late too. We'll right, it came together like late. Week. There was really no real promotion of it outside of two NASCAR fans. I feel like when you get more promotion of this thing and you start, you know, I have no idea. Skip and Shannon still going on. I haven't watched it yet. Are they I still think doing it? Still doing something. They're still doing. It? I don't know if first things first is still going on. I I don't know what Fox is doing on their studio programs. I know ESPN is trying to do them. Uh, I know Fox is doing a lot of them like they were in different places. But I don't know if they're still doing that anymore. But, you know, if, for people who are tuning into that, it'd be great to see some more promos on about that saying, hey, are you bored? Well, guess what? You can watch this this racing event that's happening on, on, on Saturday, Sunday, whatever. Uh, and it's actually they're actually going to be, be races. 
you know, I mean, they're not going to be real races, they're going to be virtual races, but they're races. So, yeah, that's that should give some, some people to uh, look forward to. So, it uh, looks like uh, this weekend um, we're going to be racing at the virtual Texas Motor Speedway at, on Sunday at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. So Loving that start that. time. Yes, I know, right? That, that was one thing for last last week. I was like, man, we should have more races start at this time at 1.30. You know, and now we've got a 1 o'clock Eastern Time start. Just do this more often. Do this more often. Just learn from this. Learn from this. You know, I mean, if you if you can if you can get almost a million viewers for a e race on a sat on a Sunday with nothing else going on at one o'clock at one thirty in the afternoon, why could you not get at least double that with a real race at one thirty in the afternoon? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I'm gonna try and stop editorializing because I'm trying to get through these last two points. Um, so we've got to the replacements, the replacement series. Uh, the replacements also are also returning on a bi-weekly basis and alternating between cup cars and street stocks. They are currently racing, as we record this podcast, at the virtual Kansas Speedway. I actually was checking it out before we went live. Uh, they will race next on April 7th, followed by April 21st, May 5th, May 19th, June 2nd, June 16th, and June 30th. Even if we get racing by then, uh, we're still going to be checking them out. So uh, twitchtv.iracing is where you're going to find all of that. Uh, final note here, another racing documentary is hit Netflix. So for everybody who's hasn't seen Uppity yet, or, is, or who's seen Uppity, and uh, everybody who has uh, watched uh, Drive to Survive, uh, we've got another one, uh, A Life of Speed, the Juan Manuel Fangio story. Juan Manuel Fangio was the first three, four, and five-time champion uh, in Formula One, winning four straight from 1954 to 1957. He started 51 Grands Prix with 24 victories, the Argentinian uh, driver. That was actually interesting. I did a little project on Juan Manuel Fangio back in... Uh, High school Spanish. I had to look up something like famous Argentinians, you know. And of course, uh, the only two I could thought thought think about off the top of my head at the time were uh, let's see, Juan Manuel Fangio and Luis Scola. The only two I actually care about. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. Those are, but but that's <laughs> Argentinian viewers out there. We 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 welcome your hate mail. No, I, look look. If you're from Argentina, I guarantee you, you're probably like me. You love those two guys, right? You love yeah. Luis Scola, and you love Juan Manuel Fangio. I mean, there's probably some soccer players that I have never heard of before, uh, Argentinian soccer players that are probably far more beloved than those two, but in yeah. terms of a world sport, you know, basketball and auto racing, players that, you know, I mean, Scola's won medals, it, 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 he's played in the NBA, uh, he's playing out in China right now, well, he was. Uh, you know, Fangio was a champion, so... Uh, don't don't hate me. Don't hate me when I'm I'm literally saying that two people from your country are two of the best athletes I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, that's it for that. Uh, that was Rob's racing uh, report. Thank you everybody for listening. Josh, we have to get to our next subject, don't we? I'm going to talk, but you're going to introduce it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we got the feature paint scheme at the uh, 1994 NASCAR Winston Cup Series. It's a great year, by the way. You know, it really was. It was a very interesting year, but it it was one of those really good seasons just overall. It's one that, you know... It's, it's, and a lot of other events outside of racing, too. So oh, man, yeah. One of, those, one of those years that I feel like you could write a a nice little college seminar paper on. So, Oh, yeah, uh, just 1994 in sports would probably take... It would probably be a pretty thick hardback book, right? Yeah, just covering every crazy thing that happened. 
Yeah. I mean, what what is it? Uh, do you do the have you ever seen the ESPN documentary, the Thirty for Thirty? What is it? June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. Yeah, I watched that. Oh my gosh, it's a good one. It's it's a cra- I mean, I'm looking. I'm gonna look it up right now. I mean, if if you guys have um, if you guys for whatever reason like have uh, ESPN Plus, which by the way I don't know why you don't have it by now, but um. <laughs> I'm serious. It's it's five dollars a month. I mean, maybe you don't have it right now because there's no sports going on. But if you still are paying for it, yeah. every thirty for thirty is is on there. Plus, every uh, Indianapolis five hundred, I still believe, is still on there. They have all those archives on there, which is kind of cool. Uh, from I think a lot of them are all the old ESPN classic uh, broadcasts, so they're the shortened versions. But they're still, you know, they're, they're they're still high quality stuff. So you know, it makes you miss ESPN classic. That was I, I said a tweet like that. I said. When the world needed ESPN Classic most, it vanished. Mm-hmm. Like, quite literally, if we all had ESPN Classic right now, we probably wouldn't be taking our televisions off of it. It's all we'd yeah. be watching. But but anyway, yeah, that's something that I recommend watching uh, in your downtime is not only that Netflix documentary that we just uh, mentioned, but also if you have a chance, go ahead and give uh, June 17, 1994 a, a quick check. So I'm going to go ahead and run in and go ahead and talk about my feature paint scheme because – uh, my actual my choice is going to be uh, Bobby Hamilton's number forty Kendall Pontiac for Team Sabco, uh, and I like this one uh, because and I think it's one that we don't typically talk about. I mean, you don't see it; you never, you almost never see it in historical footage. Uh, it was kind of like it also ran, uh, but it was a very good looking paint scheme. It was a very simple paint scheme for the most, but it was very memorable to me, mainly because those nineties uh, Pontiac bodies, early nineties uh, and, and ninety five, I think those Pontiac bodies were so. Uh, boxy that they just stand out you know you, you can't not look at those pontiac bodies and and this scheme on that was really nice and it was a precursor to the 40 car that we would en- eventually see robbie gordon drive and then later sterling marlin drive for uh, the latter parts of his career and so the car uh was flat black but it had yellow and white stripes near the bottom and some red too uh there was some red thrown in it because it was sponsored by kendall uh lubricants i think and they were an oil or oil company provide a car lubricants i can't quite remember off the top of my head what they do but uh that's who sponsored uh, bobby hamilton for sabco and so uh in 94 and so uh the in terms of performance though hamilton was okay i mean i think bobby hamilton had much better success later down his career really bobby hamilton didn't start getting really successful in his career until until it got i mean he, he got it until at least uh 98, 99, 2000, 2001, around in there. And that was probably the best uh, time for Bobby Hamilton. But for, in terms of 1994, it, it was okay. I mean, nothing really right home about. It wasn't like it was awful. Uh, he had a best finish of ninth at Spring Bristol Race, and that would really be the highlight for the car and the team. I mean, he would have a couple of other top 15 finishes, but in terms of other – I mean, that was really his only top 10 of the season. Uh, and he failed to qualify at the fall Michigan race, which – was admittedly was the only uh, race he failed to qualify for. So, actually, to make the the race at Indianapolis is even I, I'm I'm more amazed by the cars that actually made the race at Indianapolis in 1994 because like 70 cars show up to qualify or something like that is it's just insane amount of cars. Anybody who actually made the field there should should pat themselves on the back on the back and say, hey, we made a race when 70 cars showed up to qualify for 43 starts, 43 uh, spots. 
Um, and so uh, overall, uh, he would end up finishing 23rd in the final point standings and leave Sabco at the end of the year and uh, end up going to uh, Petty Enterprises to take over the 43. Um, so that was Bobby Hamilton's 1994 NASCAR Women's the Cup Series season. Josh, I think you should tell us all about uh, one of my favorite drivers uh, of all time. Uh, the guy who wished he had something he could uh, shot through the window. Josh, tell us all about about this guy, this paint scheme. I want to hear about easily it. Easily one of the the best sound clips ever in NASCAR history. By the way, oh my gosh, I love that. Easily, I got words for him. But I can't say him on TV. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> been good. All right, so I'm choosing, you know, something that could be classified like yours, I, like a forgotten paint scheme. You never see it on you know, social media as like, is this one of your favorite deals? At least on Twitter, anyways. And uh, so it's Ward Burton's number 31, AG Dillard Motorsports Chevrolet, sponsored by Hardee's. The, the car was uh, a dark blue base, had a yellow stripe in, in like the middle. It separated the dark blue from then the bottom of the car, which was orange. The number was white, highlighted by orange and, and dark blue, where there was orange around it. So um, uh, I thought it was really good. This is plain and simple. I think it was one of those cars that, like, it wasn't flashy, but it was flashy because it wasn't flashy. You know, simple simplicity works sometimes, and sometimes we don't, we don't see that enough uh, in modern paint schemes. So while the car was memorable, to me at least, uh, the year Definitely was not good. You know, it was, I don't even know where. Where did you say he, Bobby finished in the final point standings? Twenty third. Twenty third. Well, yeah, they, they, much worse year for for uh, for Burton here. Uh-oh. Uh He started twenty six of the thirty one races, failing to qualify in the remaining five, and the team failed to qualify for the Daytona five hundred and and Rockingham. So the first two races of the year, they weren't even in. And then when they got the first two starts, they'd even make it through 25% of either race, which oh, was at gosh. Richmond and Atlanta. They had failures, a, a piston failure and then an engine failure itself. So it's like, ugh, like what do we have to do finish a race? And in that first race that they did complete was at Darlington, and they finished 21st, but they qualified 38th. So they, at least they went forward. Um, they had a total of 12 DNFs in this car. Uh, and he finished 35th in the final standings. And the season was highlighted. They did make the Indy 500, or Indy 500, excuse me, the Brickyard 400. They did make the Brickyard 400. They qualified uh, 33rd, finished 31st. So there you okay, go. Okay, see, that, you know, again, that's, making, that's a the brickyard, making the Brickyard, no matter what, in a midfield car or in a car that very well could have failed to qualify mm-hmm. is impressive. So whoever qualified for the 94 Brickyard, Pat yourself on the back, back, literally. Even even if, if you just 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 do it because you, know, you earned it. I mean, I agree. Everybody on the team earned it. Literally, the driver, the crew chief, the pit guy, everybody down, everybody down to the very last person down at the shop earned that uh, right that day, just because of how crazy it is. And that's something that's really interesting that we could kind of do now because there's just there's not a whole ton of news to get to. We can kind of reflect on some of these old NASCAR stats and just kind of shoot the breeze mm-hmm. about them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, and forgive me, I'm trying not to go way off topic, but I am trying to keep that in, keep that kind of discussion flowing here because I think it's an interesting discussion to have. Is we talk both about, uh, we've talked both now about Ward Burton and Bobby Hamilton, and you think about both of these guys had really average to below average seasons and yet continued in Cup Series at a high level with regular, with relatively 
high success, high level and successful teams mm-hmm. for the duration of their careers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, nowadays that is just something you, you do not see. You don't see, you know, someone like, uh, you know, you don't, you don't see someone going from a midfield team and then suddenly, you know, bouncing around and then finding success. And, you know, usually if a guy fails with a midfield team, it's like, all right, back to Xfinity or trucks for you or back to, you know, wherever you came from, you know, guys like David Rudiman, I think about probably should have had, you know, a couple more seasons with different teams. The fact of the matter is he had an av- he had average seasons with two wins with Mike Walter bracing and just wasn't appeal a- appealing to anybody. I use Rudiman as an example because he's the best example I could think of off the top of my head about this. But you look at some of those drivers from in the nineties, especially where mm-hmm. they would have seasons on par with what Rudiman would have, and people would say, well, man, that guy's on a breakout season. And it's mm-hmm. just, it, it goes to show just how much the competition level in NASCAR has changed in 20 and 25 years. Yeah. I mean, it, it is truthfully amazing to me because, I mean, those are things you just would not see. Or even then, teams like this, um, you know, Sabco, like running up front, winning races, uh, you know, play – Teams that were mid-pack having teams like Sabco, Kyle Petty, all those wins that they had. I mean, that is just something that does not happen. I mean, you don't see front row motorsports winning on anything other than a plate race. You know, usually you see some of those drivers in cars and you say, oh, well, they're they're not really a threat to win on anything. But they could probably, they're probably a, a dark horse pick for a, a plate race or something like that. And, you know, that just used to not happen. You used to go to the racetrack, and this wasn't even all that long ago, maybe like, 15 years ago, you go to racetrack and, you know, someone like Scott Riggs who could miss the first race of the season and then come out like two races later, grab the pole and run top 10. And you're Mm -hmm. like, what? (laughs) That does not happen anymore. You would not see that. You will not ever see something like that in NASCAR again. So it's very interesting to talk about. Um, So let's go ahead and move on to this week's winners because I just wanted to point on that because I just thought it was an interesting fact to talk about. Yeah, so we got this week, we got um, two races we're going to highlight. We're only going to discuss one of them. But the E-Truck Series Night in America presented by Filter Time Atlanta at the virtual Atlanta Motor Speedway was won was, uh, by Zach Novak, who is a uh, regular in the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series. Um, and the cool thing about that race, 43 trucks started it. So I thought that was pretty neat. When was the last time you saw 43 trucks in a race? Uh, the answer is never. So, no, I haven't seen it. Yeah, you, we've had that many come out to qualify and more. Yeah, no one's ever, no race has ever started that much. So that was really neat to see on that on that front. And then you had what was sort of low key known as the Dixie Vodka 150, but more so known as just simply the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Pro Invitational Series at the Virtual Homestead Miami Speedway was won by Danny Hamlin. So, uh. Moving on to the top takeaways here. Let's kind of break this down. So 29 cup current and former Cup Series drivers were sort of guaranteed into the field with an additional six box to qualifiers in a qualifying race, so basically non-Cup guys. So Ty Majeski, a Truck Series regular, won the last chance qualifier. Chase Briscoe, Anthony Alfredo, Ryan Truex, Justin Allgaier, and Austin Sindrick also advanced. That meant that failing to qualify for this race, which we'll talk about here uh, in a little bit again, 
uh, were Jeffrey Earnhardt, Jesse Awuji, Justin Haley, Stuart Friesen, and Mayat Snyder. Um, so throughout the race, Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon, they helped explain various aspects to the audience. Because there is no doubt that there were people who tuned in to watch that race didn't know what was going on. Like some of the things like, uh, well, I'll mention here, bring it up a little early, the fast repair. What's up with that? Why are why is there no restart zone? Why was as soon as the pace car like seemingly turns at a ninety degree angle into the pit road, all of a sudden the leader who's a control car who doesn't choose the lane, he's always on the inside lane, just goes because there was no restart zone. You can go at any time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then they explained the fixed setup and and kind of Larry Mack went into that a little bit more. I love. I've never heard this term before. All right, and maybe that's just because I'm. You haven't had to hear it, but Mike Joy and the lack of the butt dino. <laughs> have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that phrase before? I've heard it maybe once or twice. I I knew what it meant. I knew what it was talking what about meant in too. there. But like, you know, it, it it was interesting. Interesting. Some of the things you mentioned. You know, those. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to derail it again. But you know, it's interesting you mentioned some of those those new ideas that people are seeing. Like, uh, but. You know, like the fast repair and, and the no restart zone and things like that. Well, that's that's stuff that's, you know, sim racers, you know, someone like me. And I, and I really like this because, you know, I look at this and I say 10 years ago, 10, 12, 13 years ago, you know, this is that's what I wanted to do. And and I've been doing it ever since. You know, I don't do racing, but I do other similar. Uh, I do other similar simulators to that. Uh, basically NASCAR racing 2003 is what I use. I don't, it's cheaper than iRacing, honestly. And I like it more than iRacing. I know a lot of people like iRacing, but I, I still prefer 2K3. Um, but, uh, that's actually what, uh, iRacing is based off of the source code. So if you have NASCAR racing 2003 season, a lot of the source code that's from that game is directly, was directly used to iRacing because a lot of the programmers that worked on that game ended up going to find, uh, iRacing. So the games are very, very similar. Of course, iRacing is just heavily updated, and uh, the physics are different. Uh, you could change a little bit more. There's stuff you could, there's stuff you could change uh, in in NR2003, but it's not going to be as as much as you could change in iRacing. But you know, still to the point, you know, that's the, those are things that you know a lot of people don't understand as part of the game. I mean, when people if you, if you've never sim raced before in an online setting, a lot of people don't know what to expect. And I, I, you know, you talked about butt dino and then moving along to talking about who was sitting in that butt dino of Jimmy Johnson. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but you know, Jimmy Johnson was definitely a guy who could probably have benefited from trying a, a few races beforehand. I'll <laughs> say that he probably, cause it definitely looked like that was the first time he'd been in a simulator game like that. I mean, he probably been in a simulator before, but not in an actual game. Where, you know, you're sometimes you're at will of stewards. It, it could really depend. Sometimes you're sometimes certain rules uh stewards will get you for that the game won't. And then there's sometimes the game will get you something, but then the stewards will say, Oh, that was totally legal, but game called you, so I mean we can override it, but that's about it. Uh you'll have situations like that where sometimes, you know, you'll think, Oh, I can there's no restart zone, I'll just go. But you gotta be careful. Because uh, if if depending on how much of a car length jump you get, how many car lengths of a jump you get on it, 
the game will black flag you. Not the stewards. The game will straight up black flag you because it'll notice that there's... And I've had that happen to me plenty of times. You think you're doing everything right. You lead them down. You lead them down. And then all of a sudden you mash that gas right when you think you're in the restart zone. And it turns out you, the game says you jump the start. And that's something that drivers have to monitor, have to navigate is, you know, something you think you're doing right that wouldn't get called by the stewards is actually going to get called by the game, the way the game is programmed, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So drivers definitely having a lot, uh, a kind of a learning curve, I think, especially a lot of them who just kind of said, oh, okay, I'll do this. I've only done iRacing maybe like four or five times in my life, but I'll go ahead and do it. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, there's a definitely, there's some aspects that we all had to learn. Mm-hmm. I've learned a few of them since coming down here to Charlotte and, and interning that they have, they have an iRacing simulator, which I've taken advantage of a few times it's really fun um but talk about you know the, the rig that they have and then the rig that some people were having too let's talk about that for a second because i think this played maybe even a, a very key role in in some of the crashes obviously you know sort of jumping ahead here there's a lot there's a number of wrecks for a hundred mile race yeah uh, and and one of the things that kind of jumped to my mind i'm thinking about you know the rig i've i've i've, I've driven Okay. Mm-hmm. You have some guys there that have three monitors. You know, you got the yep. monitor in front that's got the windshield. You have two on the side that simulate the the driver's side door essentially, and then the passenger side door. Mm-hmm. Then you have some guys who just have the single screen in front, but you got the seat, got the steering wheel, you got that rig set up. That's kind of like the one that that I, I race on. And then you have guys who are racing off of a PC or a little little monitor and just have a steering wheel and and pedals. And then you have Ty Majeski who races just like me. In which case, he literally has a steering wheel, pedals, and a laptop, and that's that. Exactly. I mean, so, that's, that's what I have. I have Ty Majeski's setup. Exactly. <laughs> so the variety, I think that could play a role. And then you have some guys who will have a spotter, like Kevin Hamblin, who set up the replacements 100, right? He mm-hmm. was there spotting for for uh, Alex Bowman. You know, he was he was watching the race, had, had the, the monitor, his monitor, or this computer... Whatever, whatever he was running it off of. I think it was actually his TV. But it was set up on Alex Bowman's car, and he was spotting for him. And the other guy was just relying on the sort of the in-game spotter, like if you're playing EA Sports game or, or, or one of the 704 games right now, you know, clear high, clear low, you know, you, you know, one around you, whatever it is, you have the in-game spotter. So I think there's definitely some confusion as the levels of, of, of your rig will determine. I think Kurt Busch cleared himself. <laughs> and he wasn't clear, you know, that, that one wreck. I just think he cleared himself. And uh, you had, a, and I think the, um, just an all guy wreck was similar to that too. You know, I think he just maybe thought he had more room up there and he didn't and boom, wreck. Where as you saw with other guys who had some of these more, these larger rigs, nicer rigs, more complex rigs, they raced a little cleaner maybe. I don't know. That's my thought. Do you agree well, with what I'm saying here? Well, it's it's close. Here's here's the thing that you have to keep in mind is, uh, it's actually a lot more beneficial. I guarantee, I could promise you this, hundred ten percent. It is a lot more beneficial to have a real life spotter watching your car from the blimp cam, and mm-hmm. just on a different TeamSpeak server from you, than it is to actually rely on the in-game spotter. Because I can tell you from many years of experience, that in-game spotter. I'm not saying there's a lag to him or anything, but sometimes he'll say you're clear and you are, and you you take that at face value, and then you're upside down. 
<laughs> you know, you take that at face value, and the next thing you know, you're upside down, and you know your third place run just turned into a dead last run. You you already crashed because you thought you were clear and you weren't. Uh, that's something that drivers, especially in in the iRacing series, they're gonna all need to get their own spotters. Whoever it be, be it their wife, be it their kids, be it their a crew member, whoever doesn't matter you have got to have or your dog if you're out if you're alex bowman if you're alex bowman i'm over. sure your dog could could do a pretty fine job spotting but you absolutely do need an in-person spotter uh i used to spot for a couple of drivers uh back in back in way back when i was in high school i used to spot for certain dri- for some drivers here and there and you know it typically when i was doing that we ran better you know the, the, or the driver i was spotting for you know they ran better because you, you have that feedback about the other cars that you won't get. You know, you listen to drivers, you listen to Radioactive, you know, or listen when you go to the race and you actually listen to the scanner, you know, you'll hear the spotters talking to them. And you don't have that kind of communication. You don't have that kind of feedback in the, in the in-game spotter. The in-game spotter is not going to tell you that the car behind you is, you know, they have a two, you, you have a two-car length gap on him, you know. That's not something that the in-game spotter is going to tell you, and the that is something. spotter's not going to tell you that they're wrecking in turn three. No, he will. He they actually will. will. They will okay. actually. They will. They'll tell you. There's. A, they'll tell you where there's a wreck, and what turn it's in. But That's you good. Gotta, you got to still be on your toes. You still got to be on your toes because sometimes that could be late. If you're like in turn one, and there's a wreck happening, you know, off the corner of turn three, you're probably fine. If you're coming off turn four. And there's a wreck in turn one. You got to rely more on what you could see. And there's not your spotter is going to tell you to go low, go high. Your spotter's not going. Spotter's not going to tell you where to go on the racetrack. The in-game spotter is not going to tell you where to go on the racetrack. So you kind of are just you. You back it down a little bit, but you're trying to keep your foot in the gas because on the one hand you're like, "Ooh, I can make up a lot of spots if I drive through this," but mm-hmm. on the other hand you're like, "If I screw this up, I T-bone somebody else, and now I got to go." to the pits and now my race is done or now my, i've got to go to the tail in the longest line or something like that you know that'll happen that is those are things that'll happen so when you have a real spotter the spotter could tell you you know where to go on the racetrack where they're going because the spotter could say okay they're wrecking up front go low go low go low because the spotter says oh they're all wrecking up high go low you know what i mean in-game spotter is not going to tell you that in-game spotter is going to just tell you that where they're wrecking and leave the rest essentially up to you. So it is a huge uh, adjustment, I think, for a lot of those drivers. And that's probably why you saw as, as many wrecks as you did, because these drivers, they're just a lot of the drivers that I think were primarily the causes of the wrecks were just not used to driving with that little feedback. You know, they're not it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're racing an IROC. You know, when you didn't have crew chiefs, you didn't have spotters. You were all on your own. And that's another thing. These drivers are all their own crew chiefs. They don't have crew chiefs up there telling them, all right, take two tires, take four tires, take gas, you know, whenever. They're going in there, and you got to start thinking, all right, well, how, how am I going to do this? Who's, who's pitting in front of me? And uh, what should I take? What are they going to do? You don't know. You have no idea. You are thinking entirely on the fly when that caution comes out. I remember so much when I was racing. My biggest, I, I was always relieved. And then also terrified at the same time when a caution came out because I was relieved that I had a break. You know, you get relieved that there's a break. You don't have to mentally focus as much. You can kind of relax. And then as soon as you realize that, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I got to figure out what I'm going to do on this pit stop. You know, you got you got to start thinking, okay, well, how's my car feeling? Well, I'm a little bit tight off the corner here. 
Uh, is that due to tire wear, or do I need to make an adjustment on the car to actually figure out what I'm doing? I mean, you are in control of that. The crew chief isn't up there saying, oh, okay, I think this is what the driver is talking about. I think this is what the driver means, so I'm going to make these adjustments. The driver is entire. The driver could feel one thing in their car and make a change, and then all of a sudden it messes up the way the car feels and on a completely different end of the track. And I mean, you just don't know. You have to have, have that experience from setting up a race car. And that's why when they talked about fixed setups, I was like, okay, thank goodness, because Fixed setup races are always you're always going to do better. It's always going to be a lot more even and a lot more fair than if you get on uh, an open setup. Because when you go into the open setup, then anybody and it, it's fair game. I mean, you can have a guy who runs the lowest tire pressures in the world and just flat flies through everybody, and you're just sitting there like, oh boy, what am I supposed to do? Oh, but if I run that low, my tires blow out, or you know, I'm not that good. You know, these guys, guys that are just better than you, take advantage of people who are yeah. inexperienced at that. So having it being a fixed setup, I think, was made the quality of racing a lot better. But definitely, and I know I've gone on a tangent here, but definitely a lot of the drivers were a hindrance just because of how many, how much, how much different uh, an iRacing racing car and a simulator is than the real thing, and just how little feedback you get from people around you. You're on your own, and that's really the problem that I think a lot of drivers dealt with on Sunday. Yeah, great stuff there. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and it was fun to watch the Ryan Blaney Chase Elliott deal on, on social media a little bit there. And he's going mm-hmm. crew chief and form. That was good. I'd rather see Ryan Blaney in the race, but it was fun. Uh, a couple of last, well, a couple of things here still. Uh, it was trending number one in the United States for a while. You know that that yes. on so on Twitter that was that was great to see. Um, we we saw uh, a number of names we usually don't see running up front in the in real races. So Timmy Hill. Parker Kligerman, who is, I think, a talented race car driver himself. Uh, Garrett, Garrett Smithley, Tim Jeske, Landon Castle. These guys, you know, Tim Jeske is probably going to run up front in the truck series, but he's not in the cup series. But we saw his name up there. And and maybe some people learned about Tim Jeske for the first time. Um, as, uh, Bobby Labonte, he returned. He, quote, subbed for Martin Truex Jr. But Larry Mack shared that he logged over 1,000 laps of practice. Mm-hmm. Like in the week leading up to this, you know, just just trying to practice. He's been a member, I think, for twelve or thirteen years on iRacing. But you know, some of these guys, he wanted to make sure he was he was up to snuff. Um, we saw uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. virtually took the lead a couple of times, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you had Fox like crank up the the uh, the crowd volume a little bit there, just like it would have been in real life. Hey, but, man, you got You got to do something. I mean, if Junior takes the lead. In yeah. real life, what's going to happen? The crowd is going to go nuts. You mm-hmm. got to simulate everything. <laughs> yes, you got to simulate everything. He took the lead with five laps to go, though. And I'm like, you know what? This is Junior's day. He's going to win this thing. Here we go, June. I'm si- I, I, I was just like, you know, I don't even care. Journalistic principles be damned. I'm going in, all in on Junior. Yes. I'm all in. I'm like, go, Junior. Come on. <laughs> but Denny Hamlin had fresher tires. And which was surprising little... because he took two tires earlier in the race, which I didn't expect mm-hmm. to pay off for him at all. Yeah, no, no. It, but, and, and, and he made the top side work, which was not the preferred lane. In the, in the virtual Homestead Miami Speedway, the bottom lane was the preferred lane, and then the middle lane, which was what we're calling the top here, mm-hmm. wasn't. But he made it work. Got it. Junior gave him the, the outside going to turn one on the white flag. He was there side by side basically the entire lap. Junior made one last lunge. 
do the exit of turn four, come into the checkered flag, bump them, and and I know from racing a, a, you know a little bit that it's easy to wreck these things. And that little bump, oh, God, if he yeah. bumped any harder, he might have he might have wrecked wrecked like wrecked wrecked. He might have wrecked Hamlin. Might have wrecked a couple guys behind him. It's not like you know Kevin Harvick and Carl Edwards at Phoenix. Right. Back in, what was that, 2016, 16. 2017, 2016, I 16. believe? Yeah. So it's not like that where you can go bump, 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 bump. But he, he gave it all he could, and he still finished second after nearly, he saved it there, but he nearly wrecked it. Um, I saw that coming a mile away. Byron, what, what was that? I saw, I saw that finish coming a mile away. That's that's another thing. And sorry, I'm, I'm going to kind of step into an analyst role because I have all this sim racing experience, so I feel like I could shed a lot of light on this. And go. Just how, yeah. Because it's, I mean, I've been doing this for pretty much all my life. You know, my father got me NASCAR racing too when I was a child. He had a steering wheel for me. When I was literally like maybe three or four years old, I've been sitting behind the wheel of a simulator. So I know how a simulated race car is supposed to feel. And when you go and you try and door slam somebody, it's not going to react like it would in real life. Your car and that car is going to get way sideways. I mean, it's going to throw them off entirely. You're both going to go sideways. I know tons of times. I sit there and I'm thinking to myself, all right, I got this guy. I got this guy. I'm going to bump him coming off off a of turn four, and I'm going to get it right up alongside him. I'm going to door slam him, trying to slow down his momentum, side draft him, all that stuff. You door slam that guy once. You're the one going spinning, not him. You're the one who just ruined your chances to win. You almost can't door slam. As, like You're sitting in the cockpit. like you're You're coming to the start finish line. Your instinct, the instinct is move over, slam that guy. Rubbin's racing, get that guy slowed down, basically force the kind of get the side draft going as much as you can. If you can't hit him, get as close to him as possible. No matter what happens, that car is going to go sideways. The fact that Junior was able to save it and still come home second was nothing short of just fantastic driving on his part. Yeah, it was fun. It was glad. I was good to see that happen. Otherwise, I did like uh, Steve uh, O'Donnell's tweet. Security, please report to the, uh, <laughs> the car. That, was, that was a good tweet. Um, so a couple house virtual fans here. are going to be throwing uh, bud cans just like Talladega 04. Oh, yes. All, all day. <laughs> so there's a little house cleaning here. You know, you had Fox Sports shared that the event drew 903,000 viewers. And Adam Stern tweeted that the uh, Bud Show Daily reported that it had a, a, a 0.53 rating, which, again, I don't think it's bad. I don't think those are bad numbers at all for the, the how late this came together and the lack of promotion it had. All, basically, it was all on social media. Um, then Ma- Manny Ancal, an insider of, in gaming and esports, uh, shared that uh, this event became the uh, most-watched uh, esports event in U.S. TV history, besting a Mortal Kombat event on the CW back in 2016 by over 130,000 view- uh, 30, viewers. And then... Um, Fox uh, also said that uh, that virtual Homestead Miami Speedway was the most watched telecast on FS1 since the pandemic-induced sports shutdown began on March 12th. That is, I think, something to hang everyone's hat on. And going forward, they promote it more. It's going to happen every Sunday here. I think they're going to take Easter off. But going forward on, on, on these Sundays, promote it. Motorsports has such a leg up right now. Mm-hmm. On every other sport in the world, and I'm glad to see that IndyCar is getting their their foot in the door. I wish NBC would pick up maybe some of those. Maybe they will pick up some of those races and and, and put them on NBCSN at the very least. Um, you know, F1's doing something. I wish there was more Formula One drivers actually doing it. Maybe they will. Um, 
But, Kenny wouldn't. It's a hobby for him. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, is that this is something where the motorsports world can really capitalize and their esports can really, really, really take a shot in the arm. Rather it not be happening under the circumstances that we have. But look, these are the cards that we're dealt, all right? As the world, these are cards that we're playing. And they need to be taking advantage of this. And I think this is a great opportunity. And these numbers, I'm looking forward to seeing how they go up. Um, so that was the takeaways. Now, quickly, we're going to go to outstanding performance. Rob, quickly, what is yours? I'm giving mine to Timmy Hill. I mean, the guy is... I mean... The thing about Timmy Hill is I had heard about this guy way before he actually got into NASCAR just by how, by how good he was at iRacing. I mean, people had talked about Timmy Hill at just how good he was at iRacing, and I'd really never seen him race before because, you know, I, I didn't have iRacing and I didn't really watch. And this was way back, you know, 2011, 2012. This was before, like, iRacing events were regularly broadcasted on Twitch or on whatever. You know, you just didn't see that. So this was really my first time seeing Timmy Hill in an iRacing car, and he just flat out impressed me. I mean, he looked fantastic out there. I mean, this is and so it, it doesn't surprise me that Timmy Hill is as powerful as he is behind the wheel of a, a simulated car. And there's a reason why he constantly gets drives and does really good things in, in, in admittedly, what is uh, considered to be underfunded rides. I mean, Timmy Hill has been taking underfunded rides essentially his entire career, and he's constantly done very, very impressive things. And that, and we saw this on Sunday. What happens when Timmy Hill gets in a fixed setup and gets to race against guys? In his natural habitat, he's going to put on a show, and he's going to show everybody else that, hey, I'm actually good. I Just give me a good car, please, mm -hmm. for once. Give, give Timmy Hill a good car, please. So that's why Timmy Hill gets my outstanding performance. Yeah, I, similar story here, Gary Smithley. All right, he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of uh, a bad press <laughs> last year for instance he was involved in. But, again, fixed setup. He didn't slow the, the anyone down today. I mean, everybody else yeah. was running behind him because they could not pass him. Yeah, and he did, but, but, he, but he did his own. He held his own there, led the second most laps out on the pole. And there was even a funny little meme out there that NASCAR hasn't put out that uh, uh, had uh, Garrett Smithley running second, Kyle Busch going a lap down, which I thought was very comical. So very good on his part there. But uh, you know what? It's good to see... He's one of those guys he could have given to a few other people. And, and Timmy Hill was another guy I was considering. I was hoping you would pick him. Um, I had to. I mean, there was so yeah. many. I wanted to give, you know, I wanted to talk about Denny Hamlin and Dale Earnhardt Jr., but I felt like, you know, those are guys that we could talk about at any time. Those guys are going to get talked about no matter what. Let's let's talk about the guys that aren't going to get talked about. And mm -hmm. a guy that I felt really, really genuinely deserved it was Timmy Hill. I just thought that he he showed everybody why he is where he is. Like, he's a good driver, doesn't have a lot of funding, but he's a good driver, and he's no slash behind the wheel of a race car just because it's a, a you know, I know it's a simulator, it's iRacing, but Timmy Hill's had good results in, in, in very, very poor equipment. And he's mm -hmm. been basically, he basically pulls uh, MBM uh, Motorsports right out of, right into the limelight. He puts them in there, he got them into the Daytona 500. And he continuously makes races for them, and he continuously qualifies relatively well. He finishes relatively well. I mean, of course, when you're looking at that, you've got to beat the Rick Ware Racing and the Premium Motorsports guys, and that's what Timmy Hill's able to do. That's who he's racing, and that's who he's beating. And, and that's something that really needs to be taken a look at. Timmy Hill just deserves another look, I think, by, by a lot of guys. Uh, well, with that, we're going to conclude the outstanding performance. We're moving to the upshift, downshift. we got three questions. Hooray! we got three questions for you today. <laughs> 
remember, you know, we're going to propose, as we usually do, you know, news-related articles and, and what we what our opinion is on them, hypothetical questions or things we might want to see, ideas we have. So upshift if you agree, downshift if you don't, and uh, neutral if you're like, I just can't decide or you know what, I don't care. So with that, the first one for Sundays, eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series race at the Virtual Homestead Miami Speedway. That is a mouthful, by the way. <laughs> Non-current or former Cup Series drivers had to race their way into the field. All right, there's a max of 35 cars. So as I said before, you had 29 and you had six spots open. Do you upshift or downshift that going forward, that all drivers who wish to participate should be allowed to participate as long as there are enough pit stalls or maybe cap it at the regular count of 40, where we had 40 entrants for the Homestead race, but only 35 race because five disqualified. Do you, do, do you upshift or downshift that going forward, everyone should race? Well, you know, I understand why a lot of people would think that everybody should race. I still like the idea of making drivers qualify and earn it because, to be honest with you, I don't really – this isn't a knock on, on Jimmy Johnson or anything, but, you know, my biggest worry is seeing stuff like that going forward. Where pe- there's people out there who really have no honest idea what, they're, what they might be doing in a big sentence like that. That's not to knock Jimmy Johnson, but, you know – I. I I, I'd rather not see that. I'd rather see there be some kind of qualification for the event. You know, if there's more than 35 cars, drivers, I should say, that show up and there's only 35 pit stalls for Homestead, then we need to have uh, those guys race their way in or and see who's actually going to get in there because then you got to see who's most likely going to put that position into a worthwhile, who's going to use that starting position in and make a worthwhile race out of it. You know what I mean? So I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna upshift and say that uh, NASC there there should be there should still be uh, some kind of racing their way in. I don't think we should just be letting. Was that it? Was that what was it? That question? was a downshift. You want to? That downshift. was a downshift. I'm sorry. I, I must have misunderstood the question. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm saying. So I'm downshifting there. I'm saying no. I think we need to still have drivers attempt to qualify for the race, and then if you DNQ, you DNQ. And that's how it used to be. That's how it should be now. I've DNQ'd from races before online races. It sucks, but it's not the end of the world. I see your point. I think your Jimmy Johnson one has a hole because he's kind of guaranteed in because he's got a. I think he he's okay, a cup driver. Yeah. That's true. I I was talking no mainly about, but I I was saying like I don't want to see something like that. You yeah. know, I mean, I, mean, I, I agree. Know I agree. I th- hopefully, he learns. <laughs> All he's got to do is just you know for the rest of the week just race one or two races a week, and. You know, they start like almost what every thirty minutes. It's it's not yeah. that hard, you know. I'm going to upshift. Okay, I'm going to upshift because tell me why. You had thirty five. You had enough. There's forty three pit stalls at Homestead, mm-hmm. so you had enough room, and you had forty cars, which would also fit into the current max field for the Cup Series. Um, and I'm upshifting because yeah, these guys. You may have a wreck, but I think you're going to expect that. If anything, the past 10 days have taught us of, of races, you're going to have wrecks, and that's okay. You know, you get everyone reset. The restarts are exciting, just like we want in real life. But, you know, these guys also had sponsors. You know, whether they were paid on there or not, you get that guy an opportunity to one show his name, you know, and, and maybe if they got a sponsor on there, you get their company advertising out there, just like it is in real life. 
And if you're selling yourself short, I like the concept of qualifying, yes. Um, but maybe cap it at 40. And maybe next week you get 42, 43 guys, and you still have to send someone home. I don't have a problem with qualifying race, but don't, don't sell it so short at 35. I don't like that. So for that reason, I upshift. Um, I, I get that. Yeah. So the next one here, Adam Stern tweeted that people familiar to the situation shared with him that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is considering moving the GMR Grand Prix uh, to NASCAR's 4th of July race weekend since the Xfinity Series will be racing on the road course themselves. Uh, neither NASCAR or IndyCar had a comment, but do you upshift or downshift this potential scheduled move? Do it. Do it. I upshift. I mean, I have no other comment other than do it. Make it so. I mean, if you have this opportunity, if you have this opportunity to potentially boost attendance at an IndyCar race and at the Brickyard, do it. Just what are you waiting for? Don't don't no comment me. Look look him straight in the, look Adam Stern straight in the eye and say that's a great idea. We should get thinking about this. That's a fantastic. <laughs> I mean, are you really? Gonna, I mean, if this if all of this is gets cleared up. And we're all good to go. We're all going outside by July, which I hope happens. Please stay home so we can so this can happen. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's just go ahead and do it. Let's make this weekend a big deal. Let's make the Fourth of July weekend a big deal. I mean, we're all going to be glad to probably get out by that time. Everybody's going to be wanting to go out and do something, see a race, probably because there's going to be a lot of people who haven't seen races in Lord knows how long. Let's do it. Let's do it. I have I have zero objections. Let's just do it. I upshift into like seventh gear or eighth gear if we're in a Formula One car. Forget it. I'm going. Let's go. Yeah, I agree. Upshift. Do it. Um, I like it. I like the idea. Um, I do like. I I I worry that maybe I don't want it. Indi- this call me crazy. I don't want an IndyCar NASCAR double header at Indianapolis though. I don't okay. know if I Why like the idea I'm of curious. it going forward and scheduling it permanently. But for the sake of hey. Let's reward race fans with, you know, three, four, or five days of awesome racing with dirt racing and IndyCar road course race and NASCAR Xfinity road course racing and a cup race on the Oval. Let's do it. That's fine. Um, I like it. Let's upshift it. Do it. Don't do it to going forward. I still like the IndyCar uh, Grand Prix, the GMR Grand Prix, opening up the 500 festivities. Um, but uh, bonus question. I got a bonus question. Okay, give me your bonus you question. Seen, I'm sure you've seen. It's been possibly floated that. The 500, should it be postponed? I don't think it will. I think there's a lot too much hype around it being postponed so early yet. That's my own personal reasons or, or personal opinion. But if it is be postponed, we're talking about it would be moved to the 4th of July NASCAR weekend. What would you think about that? 10 seconds going now. I got words for that, but I can't say them on TV. That's my right. 10 seconds. I, I don't even know if I'm okay with that. I, I, I don't know. I, that feels wrong. It, it feels wrong. It does feel I think, wrong. I think IMS is going to wait till the very last second to get that 500 oh, yes. going. And they'll run it with no spectators if they have to. I'm certain about it. They'll run oh, it with I agree. no spectators I, if they have to. I 100% agree on that. Glad we agree on that. Now for the final scheduled upshift question. Um, this question stems actually from the NASCAR Reddit community. So thank you. Do you upshift or downshift that the idea of having the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series becoming a winter-slash-off-season series and competition where Cup Xfinity Truck and ARCA drivers compete in four or five races? Do you upshift or downshift that that's a good idea? 
I mean, I think it's a good idea. I think it would be interesting. I'm just not so sure who it would broadly appeal to. You know, I think, I mean, right now what we're looking at is every, this appeals to everybody because we're so starved for sports. We're so starved for racing that we'll just, we'll take it. I mean, even people who aren't interested in this will just take it. People like me, oh, I'll watch it. But I, I think you would have a really tough time fight. I mean, this esports in and of itself is already such a niche audience. And auto racing is another niche audience. So now you got two niche audiences. You just get creating an even smaller niche audience. If you can maybe, and I don't know. I think it's a good idea, but I, I, I'm not so sure it's practical right now. So I, I'm going to be neutral a bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay neutral on this one. I agree, and I'm going to take it a st- sort of a step further. I, I'm neutral. I like the idea. But to make it be more appealing, I think they need to try to go to places where maybe they don't normally go. Like if you were to able to get North Wilkesboro scanned yeah. and up and, well, it's already scanned, but get it created and go. Maybe go to Rockingham. Yeah. And uh, you know, go to places where, like, don't go to Kansas, Texas, yeah, Charlotte. Don't, don't go to places like Talladega. Don't go to those tracks where we were going to see them in real life. Go to somewhere where, you know, again, we, we went to in the past or we haven't gone to ever. Like, I know Lanier's on there. So, you know, go maybe go there. Or Myrtle Beach. Go high race race at Myrtle Beach. Five flags. I'm taking a look right Do now at some of the, the race tracks that are on here on on iRacing that they have scanned um you know and I, i'm just sitting here i'm like okay gateway gateway that's a good option uh yeah. south boston that'd be an Ooh. interesting one that'd be a good one yeah um let twin me see oh, we, we go to we go to yeah twin wing motegi is on here suzuka is on here which would be an interesting one new smyrna mm-hmm. is on here uh lucas raceway irp thompson speedway that's there. That's that's a good one. There, the Rockingham is there. Milwaukee Mile, uh, Concord Motorsports Park. That's whoo. That's cool. USA International. That's a good one. Uh, there's Lime Rock Park. That track's no longer there either. No, it's not. They got the dirt configurations too. We've got mm-hmm. uh, Five Flags Speedway. That's there. And New Jersey Motorsports Park. That's a tech track, though. I don't think. You, uh, I guess. I guess you can't. Irwindale Speedway. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really, really great tracks that you could that nascar cars could run at that would be interesting um you know and i I look at that and i'm thinking you know you're right you're absolutely right there's tons and tons of tracks here good lord kokomo speedway is here did you know that i did know that and i have raced it and i've done terrible boy i gotta get iRacing hey who wants to vent on me uh iRacing money (laughs) i'm just (laughs) just asking a question for you so, uh, well, again, yeah, to, to, to wrap up this, I think it, I, I think if you could make it different with tracks that they don't go to in real physical life, yeah, then it's a good idea. If you're just going to go to, uh, you know, in a track that they normally go to, it's a, eh, don't do it. Um, so with that, we're going to end the upshift downshift segment. We've got less than 15 minutes here. It's amazing. We didn't have, we had one race we talked about and we still have made it over an hour of a show. It's, it's crazy. Um, and People I regret, I, I didn't know we wanted to go this far and I have quite the rollers featured racetrack this week. Well, I, I, I just like talking and shooting the breeze, but you should go ahead and get on. <laughs> well, we, you always, in, you know, provide good stuff. So that's why I allow you to talk. As if I have, if, a, if, as if I can control him in real life. I can't. It's fine. I am it's, literally it's, just Daryl Waltrip's, reincarnation at this point i'm just jaws 2.0 <laughs> and i think we all know that 
You need to put that in your tw- Twitter bio. Jaws 2.0. Don't there get him go. started. He'll never stop. All right. So with that, we're going to start now with the Roller Future Racetrack. <laughs> all right. That just sounded like such an awkward transition. You were just like, <laughs> yep. All right. I didn't Let's know how to transition it nicely. So we're going to go to the state of Illinois and to a Illinois. track that has in one way slipped into the history books like so many other tracks before it and, uh, and since. But in another way, it is a survivor in a suburbia surrounding. Today, we're going to Carpentersville, Illinois, and the Meadowdale International Raceway. The Midwest Monster, with his nickname, uh, terrified drivers. The track's main circuit was 3.27 miles in length and had a shorter 2.2-mile uh, circuit. It had high banked corners like Monza and had little runoff area. Very scary. Very, very scary. It was uh, originally known as Meadowdale, Meadowdale Raceways. It was built and modeled again after some of these racetracks around the world uh, by its developer, Leonard Bess- Bessinger. Uh, he had originally bought the property to raise horses for, uh, on, on a farm for his grandchildren, but the fire raised the property and left a little behind for that dream. And, and uh, the only part that was left was a concrete silo that actually still stands today, uh, painted uh, with the pure oil markings as it did back in the day. So his plan, Bessinger's plan was to attract large crowds so that they could see his nearby housing developments. That's quite a twist on some of how these other featured racetracks we've had in the past and how housing developments have doomed racetracks. Um, he modeled the track after Le Mans, Reims, and Monza. He incorporated some of the best features of each, uh, each track. So, Everyone could enjoy it. You know, he, and he cited drivers, fans, teams, and yet also officials. Um, he had two sons and, uh, who helped him, as well as a uh, local Corvette dealer uh, and racer, Dick Doan. Uh, they all helped design the track, and construction began in June 1958. It was done in 90 days. 90 days the track was built and ready to go. I, th- I just was astounded when I heard that. The track featured, again, two high-banked wall corners. The Monza wall uh, led into, so going around this turn, 180-degree turn, led into a 4,000-foot front stretch. Uh, and then at the end of this 4,000-foot front stretch was Little Monza. It was even steeper and tighter than, than, the, uh, than, than just the Monza wall, which I thought was, why well, would it be a little? I think that would be more scary Monza, scarier Monza corner would be more appropriate. Um, again, it was a 180 degree turn and the rest of the course was filled with a variety of turns and elevation changes. Uh, and again, it just had very little runoff area. There was a pedestrian underpass and bridges that allowed up to a hundred thousand people to be in the infield. Yeah. Crazy. So plenty of hype surrounded the first weekend, which was that was at the end of, uh, September of 1958. Chicago region SCCA event. Uh, was the event to be the inaugural race. And it saw Illinois Governor William Stratton cut the opening rib- ribbon among a reported 150,000 people. And that number has many holes and is kind of debated, but that was the number the track gave. So there you go. Uh, Sports Car Illustrated reporter and later SCCA's PR director, Dick v- Vanderfeen, wrote an article titled Midwest Monster, hence the nickname. Uh, he did that following the event. Uh, he said it was, quote, one of the most dramatic circuits yet built. 
and one of the most disgraceful. He highlighted that the methods used to pave the Monza wall led to bumpy and rough sensation for drivers and the cars that led to many failures. Later down the front stretch, a sign simply read, Pray. Why? Little Monza was coming up right before a bump that you dipped in, made your car very, very loose, and then settled it. Uh, he later said that uh, Little Monza became uh, the most cautiously respected racing circuit uh, been in the entire country. So I found that to be quite interesting. Among all the other race racetracks in the country that are more well-known, he pointed to this one. Uh, one of the other corners was Doan's Corner. Uh, Vanderfeen described it as the most deceptive and treacherous curve combination of the course. A left-handed dog leg develops immediately into a perfectly flat right-handed hairpin built on a 210-foot radius, end quote. Uh, to, the, uh, to, the best, uh, to best get through the corner, drivers were required to basically power slide through it. And that was to get the best run down the next straight, which led into the Monza Wall corner. So a very difficult section was was that one half of this track from Doan's corner through the Monza Wall and then through Little Monza. Um, he was very Vanderfeen was very critical of this track in the article. Very, very, very critical. I wish I could have found the real the whole deal, uh, but this book just kind of did a lot of the highlights of it. And one day I will find it. I'm very curious to read the whole thing. Uh, he criticized how close fans were able to get to the track, which did see two fans get hurt with, with debris. Fans threw items at the drivers and cars from the side of the uh, the circuit and the bridges from above. Uh, Bessinger's friends were careless with their cigarette butts in the paddock club where a fuel fire could have easily have occurred, but thankfully never did. The track also was not landscaped, so it was a dust bowl out there. Uh, it did blind drivers and choke spectators. Uh, the track's only fatality did actually occur during this event. Robert Walker was reportedly blinded by the dust in Doan's corner, and, and he slid off and wrecked. The race saw another 10 flips. Uh, lost in the numerous bad reports and articles and just bad publicity, uh, leading from the poor race and, and, and just the dangers of it. And it gave the track a poor reputation, which it never re recovered from. Uh, Chuck Dye won the race. So he won. Mark, Midwest Association for Race Cars, later ARCA, uh, USAC Sport Car Sports Cars, Trans Am, USRRC, and further SCCA events all raced at Meadowdale during its 11-year run. Uh, but by 1964, really fast-forwarding here, uh, even crowds of 20,000 were not able to keep the doors open. The 1964 season was shortened, and no racing took place in 1965 or 1966. A lone regional race took place in 1967. Back in 1964, though, track management was handed over to a Chicago public relations man, Ralph Bankhart. Under the track, uh, under this new management, track did continue with non-spectator events and police training. Late in 1966, Meadowdale International Raceways Group took over the operations, which then Meadowdale Raceways was renamed to Meadowdale International Raceways. The group removed the Monza Wall turn completely, uh, which again had always been troublesome because of the way it was paved and just just the original way it was built was bad. Um, it was replaced with a sharp turn on a large asphalt patch, so a little bit of runoff for you. Um, they even proposed building two ovals at the facility to, quote, 
the mo to make a facility quote the most versatile in the world. Um, the track was unable to get any of that done and was only able to land a Trans Am race, drawing a crowd of 25,000 uh, in 1969, but that was not enough. Bills couldn't be paid, and that season was aborted early. Racing never returned. Uh, while rumors arose that the operators were pressured by developers to close the track, again, the track was never redeveloped. It would take decades for the housing developments around Meadowdale today to even go up and be built. Um, they never reclaimed it. They never claimed the track. The track, though, did slow slippery back into Mother's Nature's control. You can visit and walk the course today. Yes, you heard me right. You can visit and walk this 3.27-mile circuit today. It is the centerpiece of the Raceway Woods Forest Preserve. While parts of the track, again, were lost to Mother Nature and, and reclaimed, you, they have uh, gone in there and paved pathways like uh, your trailways around the country. So you can walk, jog, push your stroller with your newborn in it, ride your bike, or just simply take in, hey, some of the biggest names in racing raced on this circuit and were flying down this straight, or went around this corner, um, which I think that's pretty cool, and that makes it a pretty big gem out there when you talk about Lost Speedways. Um, so uh, that's it for me with that today. Lost Road Courses by Martin Rudeau being assisted me with this Rollers Featured Racetrack this week. Hey, that was great. I mean, I learned a lot about that. I had no idea there were track even existed. I always learned something. And oh, this God. is one of those two that I could revisit and talk more about. Right. Just alone that first race. I couldn't leave out some of that stuff. And no, I mean, had to leave out just for time's sake. So um, we, may, we might revisit that tr this track along with a few others from last year in the near future. So with that, we're going to start wrapping this up here. What's in the windshield? Hey, like we... There's no physical racing going on, unfortunately, right now. But there's we don't know when racing is going to be option. back. I know, but it'll be here sooner than we think. Uh, again, plenty of virtual options. First, I'll keep your eyes peeled up for pop-up races on iRacing that will be broadcast through the iRacing Twitch and Podium Esports Twitch accounts. There, uh, motorsports certainly, as I said before, has a great advantage over other sports, being able to put on a show outside their traditional playing field. Uh, the first. Race of the IndyCar iRacing Challenge is Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern. The track is still to be determined uh, by IndyCar's voters on Twitter. Go on there, voice your opinion on, uh, on what you think they should be racing on in that first race. Uh, and pay attention uh, going forward there where some of these other racing tracks will be at. Um, driver's Choice, Random Draw, and then the non-IndyCar Dream Track. I'm really anxious to see what that one will be. Uh, on Sunday, it will be Texas Motor Speedway's turn, the virtual Texas Motor Speedway's turn, to host the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series. That race is at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. on Fox. <laughs> I am loving these start times. I hope maybe something gets learned. Yeah, me too. Uh, and so also, in, in this time of no live racing, and you want to watch a live race, sort of, or a real like. physical race, uh, there's a variety of outlets that are posting uh, old races and, and some of them historic, some of them more recent. Pay attention to those. But if you listen to this before Wednesday, March 25th at 6.30 p.m., tune into Toyota Racing's Twitter page. That is at Toyota Racing. And you can watch the entire 2007 Kroger 200 from Indianapolis Raceway Park, a race which was won by the late Jason Luffler. 
the race was Toyota's first win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and Leffler actually went on to finish third in the point standings that year, the highest non-cup regular that year. So, good race to watch. Um, so, with that, thank you for listening. We've uh, hit about our maximum time here, going over actually a little bit. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Hopefully you come back for more. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Rob is at R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. That's at Rob Peters 33. I'm at roller underscore zero one R O L L E R underscore zero one. Uh, our shows Twitter is at Robin Roller, just as it sounds. And hey, looking forward to the future here. Rob kind of hinted on it earlier, unknowingly, but maybe we'll watch like an old race and we'll review it for you guys and give our thoughts and opinions of it. Maybe we'll even, uh, watch that new Netflix documentary and give our thoughts about it next week on one male Fangio. So I think we've got some ideas going forward. Hopefully we'll, we'll maybe do some of that. So uh, also use the hashtag Robin roller. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing that too. Always can so use that, that hashtag to get in contact with us at any time. Yes. So with that, for Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller. Thanks for listening.